Good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, who's thirsty? Anybody thirsty for Jesus and for more of the Lord's Spirit in your life? Uh, maybe you're thirsty, but you don't know it because you don't realize what your thirst is for. So we're going to look at Psalm 63, a time when David was spiritually dehydrated. And then he began to drink of the Lord. And then he began to praise because it was so, so good and so satisfying. So let me read for you this passage of scripture, uh, and then we'll jump in to a message I've called The Soul's Thirst for God. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. <clears throat> oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I'll bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord, amen? I want to start by showing you a picture because uh, the titles to the Psalms that are there uh, are a part most likely of the original scriptures, or they were added by editors later to help us understand when or why or by whom these, these Psalms were written. And Sometimes they're helpful in knowing how to understand the psalm because uh, it's interesting, the psalms are different than most of the rest of scripture because in much of the Bible you hear, in a sense, God speaking to us or God speaking through someone to us, but in the psalms you get to overhear other people speaking to God. And here we have David praying and speaking, meditating in God's presence uh, and we're given the privilege of overhearing what a man of faith in the presence of God sounds like and acts like and believes like. But it was during a very difficult time in David's life that he wrote this psalm and prayed this prayer. It says that this was a time when he was in the wilderness of Judea. And there were two times, at least in the story of David's life, in which he had to flee for his life to the wilderness of Judea, which was kind of south and east of Jerusalem towards the Dead Sea. It's an uninhabited, barren, dry, desolate place, and it provides a great place to hide because most people don't want to be there. And this is a picture of the desert or wilderness of Judea. It's like pretty, pretty dry place. <laughs> no, no trees, no shrubs, no flowers, uh, right now, at that time of year in that picture, there's not even any water in those little wadis or those little creek beds. But every now and then, 
even in the desert it rains. And David out there hiding from either Saul, who knew he was anointed to be king and didn't want him to be king, and was jealous and envious of him, or either when his son Absalom betrayed him and tried to take the throne from him. It was one of those situations, I think the reason it didn't tell us specifically which one is to make it a little more generally applicable to our lives. But David looks around the wilderness probably in the morning and he walks out of the cave, he looks around at this site and and he looks at the barren, dry, weary land, he calls it, and he says, you know what, Lord, that's a picture of my soul. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt, maybe this morning you came here like that and you thought, you know, I feel dry, I feel weary. I don't even know if I'll go to church, but I'll drag myself in there and see if the Lord shows up. Or just maybe it's been a season for you or you remember a time. We all know what that's like, that dryness and weariness of soul. And it can often come when our surroundings are desolate and dry. The soul's thirst for God, like David describes here, is a desire for God. I wanna point out three different sections and three points from this psalm. And the first, they all begin with D, which is really nice, which will help us remember them. Desire, delight, and devotion. The soul's thirst for God is the soul's desire for God. And then when the soul finally drinks of what God can give the soul, The soul has delight in God, and then out of that comes devotion to God, desire for God, delight in God, devotion to God. That's the three main little topics that David works through. It's it's how his soul progresses from dehydration to hydration. And it's the same experience you and I can have if we will follow that same pattern and process that David lays out in this psalm as he prays, as he worships, as he remembers, as he waits, as he makes himself aware that God is real and with him and for him, and then his soul begins to be satisfied and delight in who God is. But let's dig a little deeper into this desire of the soul for God that's described like a thirst. And... David describes it pretty vividly in a poetic way. If you think poetry is not manly, then I bet David would beg to differ and nobody would want to mess with David. He was, I can't probably say the word here, but he was a tough guy. He was uh, a man's man and on the battlefield he was fierce. And yet he uses poetry to describe and in detail the workings of his soul when he was dry and weary. Uh, He describes it Uh, as earnestly seeking God, a seeking after God. Now, when you are thirsty, and I mean really thirsty, right, Uh, you start forgetting about a lot of other things, and you start looking for just one thing. We can go without food for about 30, 40 days. Jesus, other people have done it. Uh, You can go without air for only, you know, three or four minutes, Uh, and you can only go without water for three or four days. And when you get really, really thirsty, as you all know, uh, nothing else really is important. The, The need to find water just gets moved right up to the top of your priority list, right? And David is saying, 
my thirst for God's just driving me to seek him. I gotta take care of this, this thirst, this need I have before anything else. It can be translated early do I seek you. The King James translated it that way and the early church loved this psalm. It was one that they would pray in the mornings. Early do I seek you, Lord. When I get up, there's one thing I do. I stumble down the stairs, I get right past all my family members, I don't say anything, and I go right to the coffee-making area, right? You know, that says something, doesn't it? Doesn't sound very spiritual, I know. You thought I was gonna say, I get up and go right down to my Bible. <laughs> but I go to the coffee because, you know, that's, I, I need to be alive first before I can meet with the Lord, amen? But David's saying, Lord, you're what I need more and what I need first, before everything else. The soul's thirst for God is a need for God. And look, if there is a need for something, if we get thirsty, what does it say about our makeup and constitution and needs as human beings? It says we need water, that our body functions with water, that it's essential to life. And we have a thirst for God, a need for God, a desire for God. What does it say about our constitution as human beings who have a soul, who are made by God and for God? It means we have a fundamental need for him that nothing else can quench. We try, we try to quench it with everything. I'm hoping when I get a boat, that's what's really gonna, you know, I get a nice like 24 foot center console, you know, that'll really get rid of that thirsty aching in my soul, right? That was a joke, you can laugh if you want, but <laughs> tough crowd this morning, wow. He says, my flesh is fainting for you. You know, even his body feels it, this need for God, just our body and our soul. First of all, you have a soul. Believe it or not, unbelievers have souls. <laughs> and their souls have needs. We can tap into that to share the Lord with them. Jesus did it with the woman at the well. She's out there in the middle of the day hiding from all, everybody else because she's ashamed of her lifestyle and thinks nobody wants her and likes her. And Jesus is tired and thirsty and he sits down and, and uh, after getting to know her and talking with her, basically he, he diagnoses the condition of her soul and he says, you're, you're thirsty, aren't you? If you knew who you were talking to right now, you'd ask me, I'd give you water that'd make you never thirsty again. We can share the Lord, share our faith with people because trust me, people are thirsty <laughs> and they're filling it with uh, accomplishments, pleasures, experiences, substances, relationships, uh, money, everything. We just, we keep putting stuff into, you know, what Blaise Pascal called the God-shaped hole in our heart. And here was David's great wisdom and genius. He knew what his thirst was for. Do you? Can you sense and diagnose, are you, do you know your soul well enough that unphysical part of you that was made by God for God? Do, do you know when you're thirsting and do you know what your soul needs at that time? David did and he went to the Lord because he knew that his desire for God and the thirst of his soul reflected a deep need to be in fellowship with his creator and his savior. My flesh faints for you, just fainting. Dry and weary land where there's no water. I wanna show you a quote by St. Augustine, who was an early African leader in the church, one of the greatest thinkers actually in the Western world. Uh, even, even secular folks will agree. 
in his confessions, the story of his, his spiritual autobiography, he says, for you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. That's how he opens his spiritual autobiography. He says, when I reflect back, Lord, on the good work that you've done in my life, I come to this conclusion. We were made for you and we are gonna be restless, thirsty, unsatisfied until we can find rest in you. And his mother, Monica, prayed for him for years as he tried everything, religions, sex, substances, education, all of it until Augustine finally finds for his soul rest in God. Somebody has described the soul as that part of us that is always asking three questions which reflect what the soul needs. I wanna show you those. Am I loved? That usually is the first one. Do I belong? And am I safe? The soul's thirst for God is a sense of searching and questioning to find real answers, not just intellectual answers, but, but soul-level heart answers to those three questions. Some of them are more, one of them will usually be more important for each of us because of our natural makeup. Some of us have a, a, just a stronger need to answer that security and safety question. Some of us just need to belong. Some of us need to be, uh, know that we are loved more than anything. And so David's soul was thirsty for God because this God is where David got all these questions answered. When I'm on the run from my enemies, am I safe? Yes. When I'm alone and life is difficult, nothing's working out, am I loved? Yes. Do I belong? Yes. That's what the soul's thirst is like. It's this fundamental need for God. And if you don't remember anything else that I say today, take this home with you. The, th the soul's thirst for God can only be quenched by the love of God. That's your deepest and greatest need. That's your children's deepest and greatest need. <laughs> it's not for better education, although I'm all for it. It's not even for more money or this or that. What we need is to know the love of God and the, the way that that quenches and settles our soul. Alcoholics who are in recovery talk often about managing the RIDs, the R-I-Ds, right? This little acronym for restlessness, irritability, and discontent. So David here, in a sense, and I'm not saying he was an alcoholic, okay? I'm not saying that. But his soul, in its thirst and dehydration because of these difficult times he'd been through, He's wrestling with the case of the spiritual rids. He's, he's restless and maybe even a little irritable and he's discontent, but he doesn't just let it drive him to seek out imitations and superficial cures. He goes right to the source, right to the Lord. And he did it on a daily basis. My kids always pick on me because no matter what's wrong with them, they could come in, you know, and their leg could be chopped off and they're bleeding to death. And I can first say, well, how, have you had enough water to drink? You know, no matter what, this, my stomach hurts. Have you had much water to drink today? Uh, because it's just one of those basic level things in life, physically, that affects so much. Three-fourths of our body is made up with water, right? And so it's an, a really good analogy for this soul need that we have for God. And many people don't understand that thirst. They, they, like I said, think it's a need for something else. 
If I wasn't single, then I wouldn't be so restless and I'd be satisfied. If I wasn't married, then, uh, then I'd be satisfied and my soul would be content. Maybe if I uh, owned a house on the water, then I'd really be content. That's purely, I'm asking for a friend there. That has nothing to do with my heart at all. That just, for some reason, that came to mind. They call that a Freudian slip, I think, in psychology. The examples pastors use sometimes tell you a lot, just so you know. I'll give you a little, little inside secret there. Uh, but what, you know, whatever it is. If I have a better job, more money, more, uh, more letters behind my name. I just finished my doctorate degree, and I can tell you, you know, it did it. It satisfied my soul. I'm happy forevermore now. <laughs> it's exactly what I needed. No, it's, Day after I was finished, I was the same guy, same guy that needs the Lord every single day, makes no difference. So the, the desire for God, but then let's talk about the delight in God, because here's where it really gets good. David begins to drink and to, to quench his thirst, and how does he do that, right? That's the big question. For someone to say, you have a desire and a thirst for God, it's like, okay, thank you, Captain Obvious, for telling me that, but let's do something about it. In verse two, he starts telling us, and he reflects back. He begins, he, he remembers experiences he's had with the Lord and truths he's learned about the Lord, right? Sometimes our discontent can just be trying to get back and recapture an experience we had, something emotional that felt good. But we need more than that. We need to, God himself and to know him. But David says, I looked on you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you've been my help and in the shadow of your wings I, I sing for joy. Can you see how David began to drink from the resources that the Lord had given him? He first of all remembers what he had learned about God and God's covenant with his people and how he had saved them out of Egypt. And all the things in the temple in Israel that he had seen, the symbols and signs that pointed to these spiritual realities, he gathered with the people of God and just like we're doing right now. And he remembered and did not forget, and he prays. This prayer is how he drinks from the Lord. You ask. It's that simple. We'll come back to that. You ask for a drink of water, and the Lord gives it to you from his spirit. But he remembers the vision that he had for God. The soul has eyes. In Scripture, Paul refers to the eyes of our heart. And, and David here, he's not talking just about the physical things he saw at the temple, but the eyes of his soul, that when he went to look for the Lord, he saw to behold. He, he had a vision in his heart by faith of who God is, who God had revealed himself to be and promised himself to be, and David made himself aware of the presence of God and reminded him of himself of who God is. The soul has eyes and the way we drink of the Lord is by remembering by faith and, and holding before our eyes who God is. David said, I learned you to be a power, a God of glory and of power. And then he says, your love, which is better than life. Man, hold, I'm gonna set that aside because I wanna come back to that. But uh, 
He's a God of power and love and glory, David says. And when I remember that, I remember that you're powerful and so you're able to do all things and accomplish your will. You're glorious and so you're great and and you are beautiful and good and then you love me and so all that gets leveraged for my good. That's the God that's with me right now. And when I begin to remember that and believe it, then my soul begins to drink from a fountain of water that I can't get anywhere else. Amen? Anybody had that experience? You know what I'm talking about? If you haven't, I hope you will. Come and drink, Jesus said, for free. And he'll give you water. And so he has a vision of God, but then he, he focuses in on the love of God. And he, he says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He remembers how good God's love is. He starts with prayer. He moves into worship. If you're thirsty and spiritually dry, pray. I love uh, Calvin. I'm contractually obligated as a Presbyterian to quote Calvin every so few sermons. Uh, just kidding. I actually just like this quote. But he says, we learn here from David. By the way, Psalm, uh, Calvin described the whole book of Psalms as an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. If you want an anatomy book of how the human soul, your soul, operates, its ups, its downs, its needs, its desires, its challenges and temptations, the Psalms is every little part of the soul. And he says, what we learn from David here is that when times get tough and we are dry and we feel least like praying is the time we have to keep on praying. It's when we need to worship the most. And David begins to gain confidence again and peace as he remembers, your steadfast love is better than life. I came here worried about the details of situations and circumstances and problems I'm facing and Lord, how I want you to fix them and solve them. But in the end, it really all just comes down to this. Your love is better than life itself. If you don't fix my circumstances, I still live in your love and I have your love and that's my confidence and joy. That's my peace. Because when you drink of God, like Psalm 34 says, taste and see. That, you ever give somebody a drink, you're like, taste this. And they're like, ooh, that is good. Man, when the spirit of God shows up, you come in prayer hoping God will solve it and fix and change and all this stuff. And you tend to leave like David going, Lord, your, your love's just good enough. Your love, let me know it and experience and walk. The martyrs who gave their life for the faith, they were folks who at some point had to make a real bottom line decision of whether God's love was better than life or not. I joked about all this living on the water and having a boat and stuff. And, you know, sometimes the way we preachers talk, we make it sound like we embody all the things we're talking about, right, Brian? Uh, But I want you to know that I'm a sinner just like you. (laughs) I went through a period of real envy. And discontent, and even, you know, I was, I was kind of mad with God a little bit that I didn't have more things in life. And I was looking at all the other people who were getting ahead, and you ride on the boat down the waterway, and all the people had these beautiful homes. And I found myself just envying that and angry and thinking, they get to enjoy the good life. <laughs> Why do some people get to enjoy the good life, some don't? But the Lord has helped me work through that. I just want you to know, I'm not sinning anymore. Right, I, I put that behind me now. I once was a sinner, but now you're like, man, if that's the biggest challenge that guy or biggest sin in his life. He's 
It's not the biggest sin in my life. But this verse just hits me as, you know, if you don't have all those things, but you have the love of God, you have more than anybody, no matter how much they have. It doesn't matter where you live. I'd rather live in a trailer park, in a trailer with the love of God, than in the mansions of the unbelieving and the wicked, right? That's better than life. David doesn't sound thirsty anymore, does he? And he begins to say, my soul will be satisfied. You know, he went from thirst and drinking to now hunger and eating. He's like, when you come to the Lord and in worship and prayer, he, he meets your needs. You don't only get your thirst quenched, you get your hunger filled. You ever had a really, think of the best meal you've ever had in your life. The ones that, you know, you push back from the table and you're just like, oh, God is good. You know, that, that beef brisket and cornbread and collards and, you know, coleslaw and whatever your thing is, right? You know, just fat and rich, just fill you up, stick to your ribs, but it tastes good and it's presented and laid out well. The whole experience from beginning to end, you just, it feeds your body and your soul, you know? And you're, you guys are thinking, no wonder this guy has a gut, right? But David says, man, I went in thirsty and I came out like with my belly full. God is good and he satisfies more needs than I even knew I had. He's, he's better than I could even remember. His love is better than life. Hope you're quiet because that's just so good that you're chewing on a little bit like, mm, come on, Jesus, give me some of that. That's where I want to walk every day. And I, I tell you, I, I admire David's desire and devotion and delight in the Lord because it's not always what describes me. And yet I am still loved. And yet I still belong. And yet I am still secure in him. And yet the fountain is still there to drink from no matter when I come or in what condition I get there. Let's talk about devotion. Wait, one more thing. I'm oh, sorry. This delight. David says some I will statements in there, right? Some of those mean like determination type statements or resolve, this is what I'm gonna do. And notice that he praises, but he also says I will be satisfied. David was willing to wait because of the vision he had of God as he reminded himself of who God was and what his plans were. He could wait and say, you know, you don't have to wait to celebrate things that are not in your life yet. The promises and presence of God mean they are so sure that you can count on them that you can anticipate them in advance by faith, amen? When you know that God is a powerful God and a glorious God and that he is a God whose love is set upon you, you can know that even though you don't see the answer solution now, I can still praise him. David says, I'm gonna lift my hands in your name. I'm gonna praise you with my lips. I love his bodily references. We need to get our bodies involved in worship more. I wish I had more time to explain that because that could be completely taken out of context. But when we feel dry, spiritually dehydrated, sometimes we need to, you know, the body can kickstart the soul in some ways. We need to get up and lift our hands in the name of the Lord and praise him and call on his name, right? Like Psalm 103, David says, come on, soul, bless the Lord, let's wake up. Because man, sometimes I'm just spiritually groggy and lazy 
chronic spiritual fatigue. I also know what that's like physically, by the way. It's, it's tough. But sometimes our, we need to, David was great at that. Let me wrap up with this. The soul cling, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. That's where now that he has delighted himself in God because his need has been met for God, uh, he expresses this devotion that reorients his life and all these commitments of his life come out and confidence comes out and I'm running out of time. I wish I had more time, but the image here is just so, so vivid and powerful. My soul clings to you. In the King James translation, they, they translated it in the old days, my soul followeth hard after thee. That's what devotion is, is now that we know the only place I can get a drink of, of spiritual water is from the Lord, and I'm gonna follow hard after him every step, like a toddler. Every time you turn around, they're just like there, you know? You look back, and they're there, and David's saying, my soul is like that. I'm, just, I'm gonna follow hard. I'm not gonna let the Lord get far from me, not that he's trying to leave us behind, but it clings, right? But then it's interesting because it says his right hand upholds me. <laughs> it's almost a giant hand with little tiny David clinging onto it like he's the one holding himself up, right? When we would hold each of our kids, you know, they, they love to be held and though I'm holding them and it's my hold on them that has them secure, they, they still cling to me. Sometimes we play a game and I'd go like this and see how long they can hold on to me before they drop and it's not very long. And the Lord reminds us, look, my hold on you is greater than your hold on me. The object of your faith, the God of glory and power and love, the object of your faith is what's the strength of your relationship with him, not your faith in the object, right? God's got you, translation. You're secure. So give your life to living for him and Then we end with this little statement of judgment on God's enemies, David's enemies. And David says, but those who seek to destroy my life, they shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword and they shall be portions for jackals. Um, you get the picture there, right? Uh, they're, they're gonna be defeated. God will take care of them, he says. But then David says, but the king, He's not talk, he doesn't talk about himself directly anymore, but he says the king, whoever's the rightful king, he's gonna rejoice in God. And I take confidence in that because part of what the soul needs to know is, you know what, who's in control around here? Who is really king? And David is remembering, he knows he's supposed to be king, but he's not sure if it'll last, but he knows that there's one coming after him who's gonna be king and will have an eternal kingdom. And he is gonna rejoice in God because God is going to accomplish all of his plans for him and God's kingdom is gonna stand. And I'll tell you what our soul needs to know, what I take confidence in more than anything else is who, king, who is king in the kingdom of God that we are one day gonna rejoice because God is writing a story and he's the author and no one else can change the way that things are gonna turn out. And it doesn't matter Politics do matter, but they are, they're so far below all this stuff. It doesn't matter who's president or in the White House or in legislation when Jesus is king because we're gonna end up rejoicing with him one day. He's the king of kings. He's the one who presides over presidents. He's the one 
who is preeminent over prime ministers. He legislates legislators. He dictates to dictators, and everything serves him. And David had that confidence that, look, folks, we can rejoice now because in the end, God's king's gonna rejoice in his victory. God's kingdom is here and is coming. It will be built. God's church will be built. The kingdom of darkness will not be able to stand against it, and we can take confidence in that, right? And we can do that because Jesus Christ, who knew that God's love was better than life, was willing to give your life, his life, excuse me, for you to experience God's love. When he was thirsting on the cross, that little phrase, I thirst, people debate, why did Jesus say that? He was thirsty. But I do think that what led him and held him onto the cross was his thirst for you to know the love of God that's better even than life. And that because he did that, his kingdom was established, his kingdom will be victorious. He went to the Father's right hand. He was given the Holy Spirit, who's compared to water, to pour out onto all of us so that we can drink. And he says, come, all of you, if you're thirsty, come. It's free and drink. And he's the one who's king. And so return, O my soul, to your rest, Psalm 116 says, because the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The Lord has dealt bountifully with us in Jesus, and he's given us a fountain of water. There's only one place and one person who can give you the water you need to drink, and it's Jesus. The Spirit of God never bypasses Jesus. You come to Jesus, Jesus gives you the Spirit. So let me ask you again, are you thirsty? If you are, I know a guy. I hope you'll come to him and that you'll drink deeply. Pray, worship, praise, remember. That's how we drink from God's spirit. Lord, pour out your spirit upon the dry ground. Give us, Jesus, this water over and over again so that we can drink daily and by minute. Lord, that you would quench the thirst of our souls and that we would cling hard to you, follow closely after you, and know that you are the only one, you and your love, that can really give our life purpose and meaning and satisfaction. And make this church a place and a people that knows how to diagnose people's thirst and point them to the fountain which Jesus has opened by his blood. And we pray it in his name, amen.